You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back, all of our participants here for Sunday Gospel Reflection. Annie Mitchell. Father Hezekiah, it is good to see you again. It's good to be seen, Annie. Uh, just kidding. Um, yes, it's good to be. It's good to be together, actually. And here we are on the 14th Sunday in Ordinary Time, mm-hmm. with the theme of the King and His Kingdom, and um, very suitable because you know I, I I know I keep going back to it, but Pentecost is still shining. Yeah. And influences much of what we're doing liturgically, even if it it begins to be a far distant memory. It's not a far distant memory for the church liturgically. So as uh, as the apostles now leave Jerusalem, going back to, of course, the mindset of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the evangelical work of the church, Saints Peter and Paul that we just recently celebrated, the apostolic mission of the church to not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And now a recalling of what it means to be a Christian. And we can talk a little bit about that in, in, the, in the coming uh, minutes together. But, but remember, the anointing, the gift of God is the gift of the Holy Spirit upon the King is what God wants for all of us, which is why we are called Christians. Yes, anointed ones, uh, messiahs, if you will. And you guys are all think I have the Messiah complex. I don't have a Messiah complex. I have a Christian complex because God has anointed us with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized into Christ. We've become Christians. As St. Augustine says, rejoice for you. are not only Christians, but you are Christ himself. Yes. So we're looking at the theme of the kingdom of the king. This very much impacts who we are and how we understand ourselves and how the early church understood herself going out and engaging in a Gentile world, and how we are to act based upon this gift. Okay, so let's take a look at these passages. Yeah, okay, so the uh, first reading for Mass on Sunday is from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 145. Our gospel is Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, and the epistle is Romans chapter 8. We'll start with verse 9 and then skip to 11 through 13. And those are our readings for this coming Sunday. So let's jump right into it here in Zechariah. So flip your Bibles open in Zechariah. If you have some tabs that tell you where to go, rip them out of your Bible because they are a distraction from knowing and having a sense of where your texts are. And if you're looking at your table of contents, 
My brothers and sisters ripped that page out also, as you should know where Zechariah is in your Bible. Very like easily. Toward the end, right? Just like go backwards from Matthew, I think. Well, it depends on how your Bible's assist oh, okay. uh, is uh, laid out. Some new Americans flipped well, your Well, I got to go from. through Malachi first, but. Yeah. So let's go. Yeah. Zechariah, you should be finding it now. Zechariah chapter 9, nine. verse, verse nine. 9. Zechariah 9.9. Nine. You got to memorize this text. Very, very important text for Christians. All right, here we go. Thus says the Lord, rejoice heartily, O daughter Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter Jerusalem. See, your king shall come to you. A just savior is he, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. He shall banish the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The warrior's bow shall be banished, and he shall proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Short and sweet. There you go. All right. So um, just to kick off the conversation about this passage, one that what we hear, I didn't look this up, but I bet this is what we hear on, um, if I remember correctly, on Palm Sunday. This is a I associate this reading with Palm Sunday. But anyway, remind us what we need to know about the prophet Zechariah to better understand this. Yeah, Zechariah is a very interesting figure. Um, And in your Bible, your prophecy you're looking at in in Zechariah is just after the prophet Haggai. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're going to hold your hand in your Bible, Zechariah 9. Well, actually, go back to Zechariah chapter 1, because that's what we always do with our prophets, right? And 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 I'm just going to start saying, ICC, SGR people, you're hearing these words in this text, you know exactly where you're at, right? Because why are we talking about warriors and chariots and horses in Jerusalem? Because we're probably thinking about the Babylonian exile, which we always do every time with the prophets, right? But now it's saying that they're going to be banished. So Zechariah, in your mind, you're saying, ah, Zechariah is coming a little bit later. And it's true. So Zechariah chapter one, verse one, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Bedekiah, son of Ido, the prophet saying, the, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Be not like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord, return from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear or heed me, says the Lord. Okay, so here's here's what's going on. So you've got even is a reference there to the earlier prophets, right? And then you've got this guy, Zechariah, the son of Baruchiah, the son of Ido. Okay, now hold your hand there in your Bible. Flip with me to... Ezra, so you know where first and second Kings is, first and second mm-hmm. Chronicles. Now Ezra. Okay. And Ezra comes into the story there in chapter one, verse one. We pick up the, the announcement that the Babylonian exile is over and that a new king has come to the throne. The first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Many, many guess that Cyrus and Darius are the same guy. No. 
okay? Because, because of who is living during their lifetime, it would make a lot of sense that these are the same guys, okay? And uh, there's two different names to the same guy. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put in writing, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, of, the God of the heavens has given to me the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Bam. Okay. So all of a sudden this pagan king comes to the throne. Persia has now conquered the Babylonian territories. Persia is now in control and Cyrus comes to the throne and makes this announcement. Take a look at Ezra chapter five, verse one. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah the son of Ido prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, so there you have it. He says son of Ido, but it's the grandson of Ido, right? And so here he is. Zechariah is one of those that has returned from exile. He has lived through the Babylonian exile. He may have been born in exile, most likely. And then he comes back after the 70 years of exile in Babylon, and he is accompanied by Haggai. And there is your context for the prophecy. But now let's take a look at the prophecy itself of Zechariah and it's kind of its content for a second. Okay. Is that all right? Annie? Yeah. Yeah. Please. So, okay. The chapters one through eight, you, you do yourself a favor. Stop. Do yourself a favor and read Haggai. Haggai is, is buddies with Zechariah. So remember, a text without context, no text at all. Well, your context of Zechariah, yes, it's Ezra and what's happened there and the return, but it's also his buddy, Haggai. And you know what? Haggai is kind of like Pope Benedict, who was friends with Pope John Paul II. Oh, yeah. Pope Benedict was very succinct in his writing. Pope John Paul II never saw a word he didn't like. Yes. <laughs> So his, his encyclicals, you're like, for God's sake, just get to the point. Okay? So, so Haggai, you got to love Haggai because he like consolidates everything down, tells you what's going on. Zechariah is more poetic about the wow. king coming in. Riding Haggai on the... is the Benedict of the minor prophets. I like that a <laughs> you lot. like that one? Like so that look how lot. short Haggai is. It's very short, but Haggai is critically important to understand what's going on. And, and so the... I'm going to give you the shortened version. Now, I mean, look, look at, look at, look at the first verse of Haggai in the second year of Darius, the king in the sixth month, right? So Zechariah is prophesying two months after, after Haggai. So they're, they're right there. So you know what's going on and look at verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may appear in my glory. So God desires to come in, but there's a problem. People are not faithful. They're not, they're, 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 they're sacrificing, but they're, but they're, but they're offering lame animals in sacrifice. You'll see that in Malachi. They're, they're not fulfilling their tithe. They're not building the house of the Lord, which is what Haggai is most concerned about. Yeah. Wow. This all can be read, of course, Ezra and Nehemiah. So you're like, I kind of know the Babylonian exile thing and the, re but the return thing I'm a little bit uncertain about. And you got a little time on your hands this weekend. Here's what you want to do. You want to read Ezra and Nehemiah and then read Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. Now that's a lot of reading to do, but if you got the time, you're going to be a superstar 
about the situation that happens at the return. And the reason why that's important is because Jesus is literally standing at the door. Okay, what's going on with these guys and the story of Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets surrounding them gives rise to the messianic hope. And mm-hmm. Zechariah really, because he's like the 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 um the balance to Haggai. Haggai's like, you guys are worthless. But Zechariah says, Yeah, but the Lord is victorious. So you can see all the negativity mm-hmm. in Haggai. So he's the bad guy, and <laughs> so he's the negative guy. And then Zechariah is a yeah, but if you return, if you stop doing what you're doing, then things are going to work out. So chapters one through eight, chapters one through eight talks about the restoration of Jerusalem. You can look at like chapter two, verse one, for example. I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me to measure Jerusalem, to see what is his breadth and what is his length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward and another and so forth. Okay, so wow. they're going to rebuild they're envisioning the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the restoration of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple, cool. which was burned in 2 Kings chapter 25. Yeah. Um, and then look at verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, literally Jesus, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, they are men of good omen. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, the Nazar. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and and so forth. So he's, he's prophesying the coming of. This is probably why, by the way, this is probably why the the whole town of Nazareth was, was filled with established. descendants of David. David? They're what? like filled with descendants of David. They're, these are these are the yeah. The it's called it's the branch town. These are guys that know that they are descendants of David, and the mess and the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to be like that green shoot coming out. Yeah. And, and Zechariah puts, uh, you know, wood to the fire, if you will, and gets this flames of the fire up here saying, I will bring my servant, the branch and behold upon the stone, which I have set before Joshua. And so you can read it on your own. Okay. Um, And, uh, and, and, well, I can't move on from verse 10. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, who, who does, who, who, in the, in the gospel, who's under the fig tree? Do you remember Bartholomew? Yeah, Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Nathaniel, right? In, yeah. in, in John, in John chapter, uh, at the end of John chapter one. Yeah. So there's some commentators say this became a, a practice of Jews waiting for the Messiah, reading the prophets while they sat under a fig tree, because of what wow. Zechariah says, which is why Nathaniel flips out because it's very possible in a lectionary cycle of the Jews. At the time when Nathaniel was there, was called, that he was reading Zechariah and reading this passage. And then Jesus says, I saw saw you under the fig tree. tree. And Nathaniel says, boom, he's the Messiah. That goes a little bit far from our study today. That's a little still, that's fascinating. Very fascinating. Wow. So, but but we have to we have to move on. That's chapters one through eight, the reestablishment of Jerusalem, reestablishment of the temple. Chapters nine through 14 is the coming of the Messiah. So we get this in chapter nine, of course, verse nine, which we have in our text here. But take a look at chapter at chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of compassion and supplication. 
so that when they look on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him. Okay, so this, the, the, the one who's going to be pierced, what's Zechariah talking about? Mm-hmm. Except prophesying the coming of the Lord. Yeah? yeah. And then look, verse chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanliness. Okay, this, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go big picture right now because you got to understand Jerusalem, the temple is the restoration of paradise for the Jews. Right? The temple's carved in flowers and gourds and lilies. The, the high priest going to the Holy of Holies is told to till and keep it. That's the only thing he's supposed oh, wow. to do. What's he supposed to do in there? Till and keep it. It's the restoration of paradise. This is why in Ezekiel and other prophets, they prophesy the water will start flowing out of the temple because the temple is paradise. Of course, what flowed out of of paradise? The river of of life. Yes. Okay. And now, and now Zechariah says the same. On that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them. So now this, this river of life is going to start cleansing people. Hello, Christians. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you've been born again of water and the spirit, Jesus says. Okay. And and notice also another thing important. When you read the prophets and you hear that phrase on that day. So you see that in verse 13 on that day. Sorry, chapter 13, verse one on that day. Look at chapter 14, verse one. Behold, a day of the Lord is coming. Okay. Look at verse six on that day. Verse eight on that day. Okay, what is the day? It's the day when the Messiah comes, when all things are restored. This is what the prophets are looking for. When that happens, look what's going to happen and what's going to happen. Well, our prophecy that we read today, which we can look at in a second, right? Behold, your king comes to you, riding on a colt, the foal of an ass, okay? Humble and meek. But look at now in chapter uh, chapter 14, verse eight, or actually go back to verse six, very important. On that day, there shall be neither cold nor frost and there shall be continuous day Mm. it is known to the lord not day or night for at evening time there shall be light what does jesus says i am a light that's right yeah that's right and this is all that in the context brings us to john chapter one too john chapter one also the book of revelations chapter 21 says this is what's going to take place right look at verse 10 sorry verse 8 on that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem. Verse nine, on the Lord will become, and the Lord, here you go, will become the king. And so here's, here's what's going on in the mindset of the people, guys. Jerusalem is burned. It's sacked. The Babylonian exile takes place. And for all apparent, you know, whatever, the, the Davidic kingdom has fallen. Right, Second Samuel chapter seven, that the his kingdom would remain forever. So, how is it that the Lord's going to restore God's people? How is He going to restore the kingdom? Well, He's going to it's going to have to take a divine intervention, right? And and now now the people losing hope in their earthly leaders because the kings have shown themselves to be worthless and sinners, they begin to refocus their attention upon the lord himself the lord is the only one who can save us from this situation when he does he's going to become our king he's going to become the king who will sit on the throne of david it will be god himself 
this is this is where all of a sudden everything starts breaking apart because now in the prophets that lead up to the coming of the Messiah, there is a a uh, a, a coming together of the divine king and the earthly king. And you see it here in verse nine, the Lord will become king. Verse 16, then everyone that survives of all the nations that have come up against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king. So, I mean, if there's any doubt of who this person is, that's going to become king. <laughs> it's God because yeah. you can only worship God. Who else are you going to worship? Exactly? Yeah. Okay. Now let's come back then to chapter nine, verse nine. That, I hope that gives you a sense of Zechariah and his importance. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have one more thing that's really important to say about him, but let's look at chapter nine, verse nine. Go ahead. Okay. Let's go. Chapter nine, verse nine. Well, you already read it, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, I was going to uh, say, yeah, we already yeah, read this. We already read. Okay. But, but, but there you have it. Okay. Rejoice daughter Zion. Yeah. Yeah. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Of course, daughter Zion, that is a, that is a reference to the people of God that remained after the Babylonian exile, the poor of the land who had been who had been um, enslaved, yes, they were left in the land for seventy years to uh, celebrate the jubilee year. Rejoice, daughter Zion! Rejoice, all of you poor who who were oppressed by your rulers, for the Lord is going to become king. And how is He going to rule you when you get a king again? How is He going to rule you? He comes to you triumphant and victorious, but humble and riding on the colt of an ass, the foal of uh, the colt of the, the foal of an ass. Okay, now what is this a reference to? Of course, this is a reference to how uh, how Solomon was was anointed king way back in. Give me my reference, Annie. First Kings chapter one, right? First Kings chapter, I'm going to go with Annie. First Kings chapter one. That's why we have Annie here. Chapter one, verse 32 and verse 38. Um, and we'll start with verse 32. The king said, King David said, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benani the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king and the king said to them, take with you the servant of my Lord and cause Solomon, my son, to ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. Gihon is, a, is, is the, the, the living spring of Jerusalem. Our pilgrims, ICC pilgrims, just walked through the spring of Gihon underneath to Hezekiah's tunnel. Oh, this cool. is the spring we walked through where King David was brought down from. Where is he being brought down from? Well, the city of David, which is perched on the knoll of the hill, of the, the, the kind of shoulder of the hill, and then they go down, 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 down to the spring, and there he's anointed king. So this reference in Zechariah is a reference to the restoration of the, of the descendant of David. The son of David is going to do what the son of David did, right? He's going to be anointed, and then he's going to do what the son of David did. He's going to build the temple. Mm -hmm. But Annie, here's where the story diverges. Because when Solomon built the temple, how did he treat his brother? He enslaved him. He enslaved them. Not good. First Kings chapter 10. I shouldn't have closed my Bible. First well, Kings. luckily your Bible just like falls open to First Kings, right? Well, normally it does, but it didn't do it just now. <laughs> First Kings chapter 10, verse 28. 
verse 28. The man Jeroboam was very able. When Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. So he didn't, Solomon ends up enslaving his brother, right? And rules over him. And you can read chapter chapter 11, all of chapter 11 and, verse, and chapter 12 to see this thing play out. But, but here's the thing. The people he enslaved are the ones that end up left in the land. That's mm -hmm. daughter Zion. They're the ones that are going to rejoice. Why? Because they have now re regained, regained their king who they lost. But he's going to rule not like Solomon ruled. He's going to accomplish everything Solomon accomplished, but he's going to do it with mercy. That's why chapter 12 is critically important. The son of Solomon does not follow in mm. uh, the ways of the Lord, but follows in the ways of his, his father and makes things even worse. So there's this whole announcement in Zechariah here of this freedom of God's people. The kingdom is restored. And here's what that kingdom looks like now. And remember, when we're talking about the kingdom of God. When we're talking about the temple, when we're talking about Jerusalem, when we're talking about the Messiah, when we're talking about the New Testament, when we're talking about the church, we're talking about the restoration of God's original plan in paradise. Yes, that Adam and Eve were to live as given dominion by God, live as king and queen of paradise, and rule paradise how? By doing the image and likeness which they had. Yes, by living out their nature in the image and likeness of God. And what is the, what, what is the nature of God? But it is always life-giving. It is always feel, it is, it is love, right? God is love, John tells us. And they were meant to do that, to pour out their life, to bring life to all that God had placed in their life, to bless and sanctify and divinize that's the role of the king in paradise and that's the role of the messiah who's going to restore the kingdom of david which is meant to be the kingdom of god now that all sounds nice but when your priest on sunday stands up and says repent and you get yourselves into confession half the people are going to walk out right when the prophets told them, get your life right with God, when a Haggai's hanging around with Zechariah, the people don't listen. And what are they going to do? They got to stop him, right? They, they, can't, they can't listen to this anymore. They're off building their three-story mansions on the river and leaving the house of God with nothing. And so what do the people have to do? They got to get rid of them. They got to kill the prophets, right? Matthew chapter 23, turn there with me very quickly. Matthew chapter 23. This is Jesus's uh, unloading, which, will, oh, which, yeah. we will, which we will see part of the beginnings of, you know what, Annie? Let's do this. Let's, let's go to the, 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 look very quickly at, this, at the psalm. The recent Psalm. Let's look at the gospel passage, and then let's go to Matthew chapter twenty-three because all it all fits actually oh, together all very fits nicely. Together. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. Well, we have a uh, a kingdom kind of psalm here in Psalm one forty-five. I will extol yes. you, O my God and King. Yes. 
and I will bless your name forever. Every day I will, I bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. This is why I get on my hobby horse about chanting this. This is the proclamation of who your king is. Do you and, and therefore who you are made in his image and after his likeness? This is the announcement that what Zechariah has prophesied has taken place. And no longer are they looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. He's present in our midst. And therefore we can sing, I will praise your name forever, my king and my God, who is ridden into Jerusalem, who has been pierced for our sins, and who has unleashed a river of cleansing water in baptism and given light to the nations. Yeah, we announce that this has taken place. Indeed, Zechariah was a prophet sent from God. Now, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Yes, Matthew. Well, we've already turned to Matthew 23. So it's just flipping back a few pages to get to Matthew chapter 11 for our gospel this weekend. So here we go. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to the little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right, so let's get a sense of our context here, because this does feel like a little bit of a jump from where we were last time, um, where, you know, Jesus is still kind of preparing the apostles to go out on Mm -hmm. on mission. Mm -hmm. So -hmm. what has kind of happened, just to catch everybody up to speed here? What was the the chapter and verses last week, Annie? Um, We ended, it was like Matthew chapter, it was the very end of Matthew chapter 10. Okay. So the last few verses of it. Right. Okay. Yes, it is. He who receives you receives me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now we're in chapter 11 and there has been, there's a bit of a jump that takes place, a bit of a change that takes place here in the gospel of Matthew at this point. So we have talked about how chapter five through chapter 10 are, it's kind of the, um, the, 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 the boot camp, the boot camp thing. I I can never come up with that term boot camp. And I remember it for you. It's fine. Yeah. And then chapter 10 is the sending out right of yep. of the disciples and uh but then chapter 11 now we get this we get a, a, a change up that as this happens then the announcement of John's arrest hmm. takes place yeah and what is what is the evidence that Jesus gives that he is indeed the messiah i love this passage verse 4 he said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Right? The, what is the good news preached to the poor? It is, it is their freedom and release 
This is the announcement of the Jubilee year that we hear about in Luke chapter four. Right, right. And now Jesus is saying, yeah, tell him that what I proclaimed in, in, in Nazareth when I unrolled the scroll has indeed taken place evidence that I am indeed the Messiah, not that John needed any evidence of that, but his disciples, John's disciples are still following John. I can imagine John in prison, they're going and maybe visiting him through the back, uh, the back uh, gate or something like that, you know, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? Go and follow Jesus. Yeah. And they're like, but John, we're dedicated to you. And he, so finally, he's like, look, go ask him, ask him himself if he's the Messiah. Right. And so they go and this is what they hear. But so you have the arrest of John there. And then and then in verse 20, Jesus turns negative because now the apostles have gone out. Jesus has been going around. He's been healing all. He's in all of this stuff, but he knows what's going on behind the scene. So now he turns and look, look at this in verse 20. Then he began to upbraid the cities where, where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, I'm, whoa, Tyre and Sidon, not good. They would have repented long ago. And Tyre and Sidon, the, the pagans, the heathen on the coast, on the coast area up north. But I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, now I want to stop for a second because my Holy Land pilgrims love Capernaum. We spend, we are, we are the only pilgrimage, I have to say this, it must be true. We are the only pilgrimage that goes to Capernaum, not once, not twice, but three times on our pilgrimage. For my Holy Land pilgrims, right? three times. Yeah, remember we went to the Latin side and the Orthodox side both. So we actually left and we came back and we went and saw the Church of the Twelve Apostles. So we go why three times because Capernaum is where Jesus spends most of his time, but also in Chorazin and Bethsaida, which are right there. Chorazin and Bethsaida are not developed like Capernaum is. Um, and so and so they're not, they've just actually discovered in the last five years what they think, where they think Bethsaida actually is. They had oh, done wow. some digging up, uh, up the hill, but it turns out it's most likely down below. And they've actually discovered it. I look forward to going and seeing it myself. And Corazine also is just a little archaeological dig now. Nevertheless, this is called the Evangelical Triangle. These three cities. We'll pull this up on the map right here, and you can see. Yep, there it is, the Evangelical Triangle. Okay, this is where this is a modern way of saying this is where Jesus worked most of his his ministry, and where he was. This is where he was healing the blind. All those things he just said in in verse chapter eleven, verse four. Okay. He gave sight to the blind. He made the paralytics to walk. He cleansed the lepers. They made the deaf to hear. This is all Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Now, our pilgrims, our ICC pilgrims love Capernaum, okay? Because we go there, we spend so much time there. It's beautiful. Capernaum's amazing. But look what he says at Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, Whoa. It would have remained until this day. Oh, wow. <laughs> because it's in Capernaum, they lower the paralytic through the roof. It's at Capernaum, he heals the, the Peter's mother-in-law. It's at Capernaum that he drives out the demons in, in uh, the synagogue. Okay, if you want to do a little bit of, of, of reading on this, you can go read Mark chapters 1, 2, and 3 to see what's coming into this business. 
but he just lays into him. But I tell you that it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment in the land of Sodom than for you. Because he knows that while he's doing this and the thousands are gathering around Peter's house, there's all sorts of conversations going on behind his back. Look at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and took counsel how counsel against him, how to destroy him. Do you see that? Yep. In chapter 12, verse 14. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 14. Okay, so there's there it is. There's the context of our passage here today uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. You said it's a bit of a jump. Yeah, it's a jump because the evangelical mission of Christ, while he's still going to heal and go around in these places, the game's up. These guys have decided against him how to destroy him. Wow. He knows it. And so he calls him out on it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So based on the stuff that, that Jesus is saying here, I mean, you can see when, um, when he talks about being, you know, humble and that he's receiving things from the father, you can kind of, you see this direct connection to Zechariah, but when he starts talking about, you know, come to me, all you who are labored and burdened, and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for yourselves for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't, I, well, maybe there is a direct connection, but you don't see quite the direct connection to Zechariah. So why is there some reason why Jesus is saying these things specifically? Absolutely. It's why Zechariah is prophesying and it has everything to do with what we just looked at. So we can just hold our Bible there in Matthew, flip back again with me to 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12, because these are the exact words that are used in 1 Kings chapter 12, when the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, comes to reign in Jerusalem. Look at verse, sorry, chapter, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 41, verse 43, sorry. Solomon slept with his fathers. Can you see that? 14? You mean 12. First Kings chapter 11. Oh, 11. Sorry. Okay. Verse okay. 43. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got you. Solomon slept with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, chapter 12, verse 6. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father. While he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me? So this is the son of David. Now, Christians, Bible readers, son of David, you're thinking about Jesus. But you always got to think about Jesus as the son of David. Yeah. In light of Solomon. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Chapter 12, verse 3. Verse 3. And they sent and called Jeroboam and said to Rehoboam, Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the service, the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke upon us, and we will serve you. And then, of course, verse six and following, he takes counsel of the old men and the old wise men tell him, yes, lighten their, their, their burden. Don't, don't tax them anymore, Democrats, because if you do, you're going to lose the election. Yes. But then, but look at verse eight, verse eight. But he forsook the counsel which the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men. 
Yeah. And of course the young men say, make their burden, make it heavier, make it more, put them, put them down. Yeah. And, and so forth. You can read that for yourself. So, so you have to realize when Jesus is talking about coming humble and right now, don't be like daisies with the braided ponytail and the Birkenstocks and Jesus is so nice. This is a, a direct, a direct reference to the Babylonian exile because it's this which causes the exile. Why? Because the people cannot remain in their father's house when they refuse to follow their father's ways. These people have decided to act like Pharaoh and the Egyptians, enslaving God's people, and therefore they must be exiled to the heathen. You can only live in God's house if you live according to God's ways. Yeah? And so, so this reference is very important from a historical standpoint, not so much about the nice Jesus as it is about the restoration of the throne of God on earth. Yeah. But again, again, when the prophet stands up and says this, what is going to happen to him? Let's look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Because when, when, okay, well, when Jesus says, you know, when it all comes out who these guys are, Jesus finally comes out of the out and just calls them out in public. And this is verse chapter 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides who say if, if, if anyone swears by the temple and so forth. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from town to town that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all of this will come upon this generation, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who sent to you. When Zechariah told them to repent, they murdered him. I love taking our Holy Land pilgrims to the tomb of Zechariah and Haggai in Jerusalem. You can still go there today. And when they told him to repent, they murdered him. And when Jesus told them to repent, they will murder him also. But Jesus is not only a human prophet or a human king. He is God in the flesh riding into Jerusalem to be enthroned upon the cross to destroy not only those who would enslave God's people, but to destroy the one who enslaves mankind. This is what the gospel reveals to us in this coming of Christ into Jerusalem, which gives us as Christians a sense of our own identity 
and what we might expect when we go and do what Zechariah did, when we go and do what Jesus did, when we live as Christians, my brothers and sisters, they will persecute us. This is the, if I can say there's a theme that that extends from Pentecost to this whole season, it is the theme of knowing who you are as a Christian and what you can expect from the evil one who wants more than anything to destroy the kingdom of God on earth. And what we can expect from the Lord as our reward for remaining faithful Amen. Which is what I want to ask about, because um, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Can you talk about this, this biblical notion, how the church understands this, this scriptural notion of rest? Absolutely. I think actually here in, in the gospel accounts, very suitable that in chapter 12 verse 1 this entire issue comes to the forefront because of course jesus keeps healing on the sabbath it's one of the reasons it comes out in the gospel of john most fully but this is one of the reasons why they want to kill him okay and uh chapter 12 verse 1 he goes through the grain fields which are right there on the mount of beatitudes you can go still walk through those grain fields today and pluck grain because there's still growing wheat in that area And the the wheat grains, by the way, when you're walking through those fields are huge. They're amazing. Like, you know, we think of, of, of wheat and we think of ground wheat, but the, the wheat kernel is like, um, it's, it's like a, uh, um, um, not a sesame seed, sunflower seed, a sunflower seed. Thank you. It's like a small sunflower seed. Well, if you eat enough of them, you know, I mean, they're oily, they're, they're rich, So this is what they were doing. And these things were, they're not hard. Like you think about hard, you know, dried up. No, no, no. You can go pluck them today and you eat them and they're delicious. And they would be eating these things on the way from Capernaum down to Magdala or down to Tiberias or they probably didn't go to Tiberias, but up to Chorazin and Bethsaida. And they were on the hillsides and they were eating these things. And it's a Sabbath day. Yeah. And so Jesus has this confrontation saying, what is the Sabbath all about? What is this resting in God all about? Remember, the gospel is about the restoration of paradise in which God rests on the seventh day. And we are made in his image and likeness. We oftentimes read that in relationship to the Lord, but it's so totally in relationship to us. If God rested on the seventh day, what are we supposed to do? Also rest, yeah? But when God rests, what does he do? He blesses the seventh day, Genesis chapter 2. And what happens when a thing is blessed, Annie? You you have things blessed all the time, right? You bring things to, I hope you bring yeah. things to the priest to bless them. Well, it elevates them. And how does it elevate them? Though, come on, I can I take my keys and I elevate them. You know, they were well, here. Well, you bless those keys, and uh, I don't know. What do you mean? That, no, how are they elevated? What what happens to a thing when it's blessed? Well, it's like. I don't want to say divinized. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Is it? Why not? Don't okay. be afraid. You become right. not only Christians, but Christ Himself. St. Yeah. Augustine says. You know, we have this, we have this false notion of meekness and humility. We really do. Yeah. Uh, and even a false notion of peace, of this kind of like, oh no, no. I mean, you don't even want to say it right now. You don't want to say that something becomes holy. Yeah. But it does. 
it yeah. becomes a holy object. And that's why things that are blessed are kissed. Yeah. Yeah. We, we bless oil. We bless water. We bless bread and wine. Yep. We bless people. And what happens when a thing is blessed? It receives that which God has, namely his life. It's divinized. It's filled up with God's life. So what, what is supposed to happen on the Sabbath day? We're supposed to live in the image and likeness of God who blesses. So don't, we're, you know, this image of God resting on the seventh day because he's exhausted from creation. He's sitting in his lazy <laughs> voice, smashing yeah. Budweiser cans <laughs> over his head. No, get that out of your head. No, when God rests, he enters into what he does most properly to himself. He pours his life out. And this is what Jesus has come to do. And this is why he blesses on the Sabbath day in particular, because the Sabbath day in particular is, it is the day of the Lord in which God acts and we are to act in and through him. This is why the liturgy is celebrated most properly on Sunday, the day of the resurrection, the day after the Sabbath. And when Jesus gives us the newness of life in which we enter into what God does. The Sabbath day is made for restoration. It's made for healing. It's made for blessing. When, when, when Jesus, who is the king, sees his, his kingdom, what is the king supposed to do? He's supposed to set his kingdom in order that it, by being properly ordered, might flourish like a garden, right? You think about the kingdom like a garden, right? It's tilled, it's kept, it's watered. All the right things are put into it. Now it grows. The kingdom is just like that. All the parts are put in their proper order and are working well together. And when that happens, it flourishes, it grows, it, it's fruitful. Yes, Jesus is the king. He's looking over his kingdom and he's seeing the parts that aren't working well. The eye that he created to see is not seen. The, the legs he made to walk aren't walking. The souls which are made for communion are divorced from him. And now he goes about bringing healing to that kingdom. Jesus is some traveling circus miracle worker. Jesus is the king. And that's why all of this that he says in chapter 11, verse 4, about to, about to John's disciples, go and tell them what you see. I'm putting my kingdom in order because I'm the king. Yes? That's what's supposed to happen when we rest. The, the, the day of the Lord, yes? Now, I want to be also be very careful. I don't want to conflate the Sabbath day and, and Sunday. The Sabbath yeah. day is Saturday, the seventh day. The fathers of the church tell us that Jesus, being the God of creation, was crucified, putting the old Adam to death on Good Friday, which is the sixth day, the day which Adam and Eve were created in paradise, Genesis chapter one. Being the God of creation, he rested in the tomb on the seventh day. And being the God of creation, he rose from the dead being the light of the world on the first day of the week and that first day of the week is now no longer the sabbath rest it is the fulfillment of the sabbath rest for it is man fully alive it is man having been blessed sanctified divinized alive with the life of god which cannot die anymore and therefore christians gather together on this fruit of the sabbath which is the first day of the week sunday the day of the resurrection 
And we do then on the day of the Lord what the Lord has done for us. We pour out the life he has given to us into creation. This is why the priest goes to the altar and blesses bread and wine. This is why we baptize people most properly, by the way, on Sundays. This is why we as Christians rest on the Sabbath day, not by saying I can't walk from that point on the Mount of Jerusalem to the temple or just that far. And that's all I can walk. And I can't pick this up because it breaks the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath is made for blessing. The Sabbath is made for communion. The Sabbath is made for all of these things. And therefore the Lord's day is meant for the fruition and realization of that, which God put in place on the Sabbath day. This is why communion is received on Sundays and why that communion extends out to our restored life in communion with one another in our churches, which is why Father Hezekiah is so crazy about coffee hour and about inviting people over your home on Sunday so you can serve them in the Lord, that we can live the day of the resurrection as the fruit of the Sabbath, as the realization of everything that Christ, our King, Jesus, our King, our Messiah has come to give us, making our service to one another light, easy in the Lord, not as slavery, but as citizens of the kingdom restored in our relationship of love with one another. That's a hobby horse, Annie, and I'm finishing our hobby horse there. Well, you can finish your hobby horse by um, transitioning that hobby horse into Romans chapter eight, because it's pretty similar to what St. Paul is telling us about how we are not debtors to the flesh, that we are living in the spirit of Christ. There you go. Romans chapter eight, chapter eight. Didn't we just look at chapter six also? Yeah, we were in chapter six, your favorite, favorite about passage. being baptized into Christ last week. Yeah. Chapter eight, verse mm -hmm. nine. Let's do it. And then yeah. they're going to skip verse 10 on us. Annie, I, that drives me crazy. It's like, we don't have time for a verse. Come on. I'm reading from it my... It is kind of interesting. I, you know, I, I admittedly, I didn't go look at what that verse was in between. I was uh, reading from my lectionary book. Is there something this. wrong with verse 10? I don't know. Chapter eight, verse nine through 13. I'm going to read from my RSV. Okay. Go but ahead. you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. If the spirit of God really dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your immortal bodies, also to the spirit who it dwells in you. And I can just finish with this and say, my brothers and sisters, the biggest problem we face in our church is that that is not understood and realized in our life. You want a spirituality? That's your spirituality. You have been baptized into Christ Jesus, the spirit of God dwells in you you have been sanctified you have been divinized you are the temple of the living god now go out into this dark world and bring it back to its king to christ our god be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages amen
Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.